0: Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Radamic Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly. Robert Davenport started out the year just fine. He made a great contribution to the Politics Done Right, the PDR Posse. And he says, Let us start 2024 off by supporting progressive independent media. Happy New Year, PDR Posse. Happy New Year to everybody. Hey, I'm medicated right now because I'm sick. I'm sick. I finally got a cold. After having COVID for several, I guess it's over a year ago, finally got a cold again, and I feel like crap, so I'm on Dayquil. And you know what? It kind of picked me up a little bit, because earlier I was dragging. Anyway, folks, great to have you here. Happy New Year. A lot of people aren't here yet. I know people are probably still sleeping from last night. Well, you know, we we celebrated, just the three of us last night. We didn't go anywhere, and we just had a quick Champagne and then the two ladies went off to bed, and I got a few more things done and went off to bed. Feeling sick like a dog. But you know what? It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Welcome aboard, Davenport, Robert Davenport, Robert. Uh, let's see, AVQ is in the house. Uh, we have a few more people on, but they're not making themselves known. I know, I know it's New Year's. But you know what? I wanted to start, you know, my wife said. Why don't you play one of your programs? And I said, no, I wanted to be there on New Year's in case there are people that decided that they want to listen on New Year's. And what I did is I have a whole lot of uh, different uh, sh- clips that I want to, to, to present. But I tell you, this year is going to be about four things. And you're going to hit, we are going to hit this in many different forms. It's going to be about, first and foremost, activism. Meaning if we want to get things done, we have to get it done. We have to go out there and do it. Let's not wait for anybody to go out there and do it for us. And as you can see, with Davenport starting off with saying, I am supporting independent media. Davenport didn't wait for somebody else. Brother Robert Davenport said, I am going to do my part to make sure things get done. So thank you so kindly, Robert Davenport, for starting the year with contributions to Politics Done Right to make sure we can continue doing this. I sent out a pretty uh, detailed letter, uh, newsletter about uh, us supporting this type of media. So thank you so kindly, my dear brother. Norman Reynolds is in the house. I sent you a text earlier. Norman says, hey, happy new year, my brother. I'm here, happy new year, feel better. I'll try my best to feel better. You know what? It's funny? While I'm talking to you guys, The adrenaline is going to be rolling and I'm going to feel good. The the day quill is working. And as soon as this is over, I'm going to cave. But anyway, you know what? Love you guys. Love being around. Uh, Let's see what else we got here. What else have we got here? Anyway, so as I said, we are going to be touching on four topics this year, entire year. Activism. And because everything else flows from activism, absolutely everything that we are going to accomplish this year flows From our willingness to be active, our willingness to be engaged, whether that is one hour a month, whether that is one hour a week, whether that is one hour a day, whether that is 10 hours a month, whatever it is, the sum total of all of our activism will actually make change. The second topic we're going to be very deep into, economics. I am going to try in every manner and fashion to show to everybody that we have been snowed on our economic system, and that the way it has been taught to us, the way we have uh, we have believed in it, is actually completely and entirely false, and that we, once we have an understanding of how an economic system really works, and can work, we will be able to demand from our elected officials the changes that are necessary to make sure that our economy works the way it should, not for a few, but for many people. And I know sometimes that sounds cliche. It's only cliche because we don't yet, many of us don't yet know how all this stuff works. Third item we're gonna be talking about a whole lot is healthcare, from Medicare for all, the Medicare Advantage, to standard Medicare, to Medicaid, all these issues we're going to talk in the context of why it is we must have universal health care and why it is time for us to really demand it, not ask for it, but demand it. We're going to learn that the private sector is a fraud in, in health because at that point in the private sector, if you put health care in the private sector, private sector healthcare is nothing more than a fraud it again profits in healthcare is nothing more than an expense not used to supply you the healthcare that you need so that is the third item that we're talking about so we, again activism healthcare oh. economics and lastly and throughout This time, given that our real elections start in March, we're going to be talking a whole lot about elections. So again, what are the four topics? The four topics are: one, economics; two, healthcare; three, elections; and what was the fourth again? Activism, which really should be the first, right? Activism is the first because to be to get our healthcare to get uh, economic understanding and to get uh, everything else, our voting rights and the how, it, how to vote, we have got to be activated and that's what we intend to do. Okay, so without further ado, I want to just give a, play a piece that I did a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I want to play this piece and this piece is very important. Very important because a lot of people think that activism doesn't work, okay. A lot of people think that, and you know, I'm from Central America, Panama, and we are from a place where, to many times, police officers, etc., have the option to crack your skull if you decide you're going to be active, if you decide you're going to protest, if you decide you're going to do all of that, but. When you are allied, when you make sure that the law enforcers realize that you are allied with them and they are nothing more than just enforcers (coughs) of a plutocracy who cares nothing about you or them, they then become your allies as well. And that was quite proven in Panama. I want to play this piece and then we'll take it on the other side because, folks, activism works if we put our effort into it. I got a big story for you, and this should give all of us in America hope. And it starts in my little country of Panama. It's a huge story that has not really made it to America the way it should based on its implications. And I want you to listen to this. And uh, so don't leave me yet. I want you to listen to this. It's on uh, Common Dreams Played it. I had some interviews set up with some Panamanian officials, but since the Panamanian Supreme Court came in the defense of the people, I no longer need it. But here it is. Huge win for the planet as Panama court shuts down massive mine. The people have spoken and expressed that they don't want more mines, that they want sustainable economic development, and have no intention of destroying the country for profit. Check this out. Indigenous and environmental campaigners this week hailed a landmark win for the Rights of Nature movement, the Panamanian Supreme Court's unanimous ruling that the contract for the Cobre Mineral Mine, one of the world's largest, is unconstitutional and must be shut down. One of the largest mines in the world in a third world country forced to shut down. The November twenty-four ruling against Minera Panama, a subsidiary of the Canadian company First Quantum Minerals, followed weeks of nationwide protests against the open pit mine, which began operations in twenty nineteen and where mainly copper, gold, silver, molybdenum are extracted. Opponents say the mine threatens area water supplies. A gunman shot and killed two people at a protest against the mine earlier this month. It was an American born on the Panama Canal zone. He got pissed that the Panamanians were trying to protect their country. So he shot two of them that were blocking the highway. Point blank. I have it on tape. Last year, the COVID mine. Uh, produce over 86,000 tons of copper, approximately 1% of the world's total production out of our little tiny country. 5% of Panama's gross domestic product comes from that mine. 75% of the Central American country's uh, export revenue comes from that mine. More than 2% of Panama's workforce is employed at that mine. What am I trying to say here, people? The Panamanian people said, yes, we are willing to feel the pain To protect the long term, we are willing to feel the pain and not worry about those rich, fat cats that are going to mine our country and then run off with the money and leave us dry handed with a polluted, a polluted environmental problem like we do here in America all over this country, Love Canal, and we can name all these disaster areas that corporations leave. They claim they're going to refurbish it, they mess it up, and then they leave. Panama said no. Cobre, which is located in a biodiverse area on Panama's Caribbean coast, will now shut down as a result of the ruling. The Panamanian people have spoken. Kirsten Ruiz, executive director of the London-based Sustainable Development Foundation, told Mongabay. The people have spoken and expressed that they don't want more mines. What they want is sustainable economic development and have and, and have no intention of destroying the country for profit. I am so proud of Panama. If they can do it, if we can do it in Panama. We can do it here in the United States. We can shut down that and we can we can take short-term pain to protect long-term issues, to protect people from cancer, to protect the environment. Referring to his introduction of Panama's rights of nature law, Juan Diego Vasquez Gutierrez, an independent and at, at age 27, the youngest member of the Panama's National Assembly, said Wednesday that I am very happy to have been a part of a fundamental, and it's the young people, a fundamental legal instrument to end the mental mining industry in the country. Uh, this is one of the tangible uh, effects that we must repeat in defense of the environment. Thanks to this legislation. And look at what that, look at what they did to Colon and Veraguas. This is my, this is where I was born. This was a, this is a beautiful area in the mountains on the on the Atlantic coast in Panama Trip mine all that water from this. These metals were going into our pristine rivers. Some of them are going to take two hundred years to re- eradicate themselves. Okay. And anyway, I, uh, the article is in the blog, so you can finish reading the article there. But I can't tell you how proud I am of Panama, and this this gave me hope as I saw that Panamanians knew two percent of the workforce worked at the mine. They also knew 75% of their exports went to uh, came from that mine. They also knew that gold and copper and all of that came out of that mine. T- to help who? Not to help Panamanians, to enrich a corporation, right? And at the same time, dirty everything else up. Viva Panama! They did the right thing. And that should be an example to our activists, all over the United States, all over America. And why am I saying this? Too often, we throw our hands up in the air and says, we can, uh, we can go protest, 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 protest. Nothing's going to happen. When we think about Central American countries, we think about countries that uh, dictators can take over or they can bring in the army to shut down protests, etc. This protest was a social media protest that went to the streets all over the country. They Panama City, Colón, David, Chorrera. Everywhere in Panama, we had people fighting for the rights of the country, and they won. So to the American activists, we have a lot more power than what they've had in Panama. We can shut things down here as well. We can make things happen. All right. Absolutely. We can make things happen. Robert Davenport says, we love your energy and are happy to send you positive vibes and energy from the PDR posse. 2024 is indeed a year to get involved and step up to make things improve for majority of us. I agree. Thank you, though, brother Davenport. We are going to do it and I will keep that energy, uh, keep that energy, uh, keep that vibe. Robert also says, the most famous American-born in Panama Canal Zone, is Senator John McCain. John McCain was born in Cocosolo Hospital on the Transismica Highway. And guess what? It's the same hospital I was born in. He was born of American parents, which made him an American. I was born of Panamanian parents, which means I'm a Panamanian. So, I mean, it, it is, but it was in the same hospital that I was born that El Senor McCain was born. I don't even think uh, it it exists anymore. Uh, it, it, you know, on that the, everything has changed a whole bunch since. But anyhow, next video we said the other thing we want to talk about is the economy, right? I want to give some notions of the economy based on a piece that I played before. I will tell you what, before we go on the economy, let's go ahead and do uh, Medicare uh, uh, Advantage because I I can't say this enough: the Medicare Advantage. Ads are continuing, they're continuing, they're continuing, which means all the new people that are coming to Politics Done Right, that are seeing it for the first time or whatever, they haven't seen this. So if you've seen this piece that I've done already, forgive me, stay with me, just drop me some lines in the comments and we can continue the conversation there. For those who have not yet seen this explanation on Medicare Advantage, etc., please, please, please watch it in its entirety. And here we go with this piece right this minute so let me first explain a few things about medicare medicare didn't come into be because government wanted to handle the payment of your health care even though my philosophy is healthcare belongs with the government my philosophy i'll just say it straight out is that healthcare belongs with Government, and here's why I believe it. Government is not some crazy entity. Government is we, the people. Now, when you go buy a pizza, if you don't like what Pizza Hut is selling, you can go to Papa John's. You can go, or you can say, I don't like any of these pizzas. I'm just not going to buy the pizza. I'm going to go ahead and buy me a sandwich. And if the sandwich prices are too high, you'll just go ahead and say, I'll buy me a loaf of bread. I'll buy me some Vienna sausage and some cheese. And I'll make me a Vienna cheese sausage sandwich. I have those choices. These are choices that I can make. Those things belong in the private sector where I can get a whole ton of different types of pizzas, where I can get a whole ton of different types of sandwiches. That belongs in a private sector. I want a car. Do I want an electric car? Do I want a car that's red, pink, blue? That belongs in the private sector. However, if I'm driving down the road and get into an accident and I break my leg and I break my neck, that does not belong in a private sector. For several reasons, because at that point in time, I don't have a choice. I have to get health care for my neck. I've got to get health care for my arm. So, therefore, whoever is going to provide that service can charge me whatever the hell they want to charge me because I am in a state where I'm at a must. Right? And not only that, most of the technology used in healthcare. I repeat, most of the technology used in healthcare was designed and provided to you by research dollars you as a taxpayer already paid for. I know you see all the ads that tell you the reason why we have healthcare or private healthcare white so high is because research uh, we have to research and we have to test drugs most of that is a lie, Approvable lie. Most of these companies, their largest budget is in advertising, is in marketing, is in bonuses. A little bit of that money goes to research and development. Most of the research and development monies generally comes from you, the government, you your taxpayer dollars. There's not a question about this. There's all a fidgety math that they like to use, but ultimately we, the people government pays for that, that drug that Moderna is making a lot of money on for COVID. You know, who paid for most of the research on that drug you did. Your uh, uh, RNA technology did appear out of magic. A one year after COVID was instantiated by some great company who created this drug. That's not how it happened. Moderna had our mRNA technology that was funded by the government for decades. and, And COVID was a great test case to put it into action. Okay. And the testing of all of that for it and COVID is what occurred at lightning speed. The technology proper did not come at lightning speed. It was developed over decades and decades of research dollars that you paid for. Okay. We're talking about Medicare Advantage, but I need to give some background. Okay. Now, now. Why do I say healthcare belongs with the government? Again, it's because at that point, you don't have choices. And likewise, we already paid for much of this now. But we allowed private insurance. The, the politicians were bribed, all of that. We allowed private insurance to take care of these issues. Good. Private insurance meant what? It meant that. I am going to take a chance on you paying me a certain amount of money every month, and I'm going to make the bet that you won't get sick. Or enough of you that are paying me a bunch of money every month won't get sick enough that I have to spend all the money that you pay me in premiums into getting you healthy again. That's what insurance is it's a company making a bet, and you making a bet. You are betting that you are going to get sick and that insurance company is going to pay more than you are paying that insurance company. And that insurance company is making a bet that they are going to pay less for your healthcare than what you're paying in premium, and in the aggregate, that is exactly what happens. They have actuarial tables that say if I have a thousand people, about a hundred of them are going to get sick. If I and that the cost of that hundred is going to be X amount of dollars, I charge more in premium for collecting that X amount of dollars, and all of the whatever I don't pay out. to to get you healthy, goes into the pockets of the shareholders of the private insurance company and into bonuses for the executives. That's the insurance, the private insurance model. But there's a funny thing about health. As we get older, we in the aggregate, we get sicker. As we get older, we get sicker. And as we get sicker, it costs more money for us to get healthy. So insurance companies, because they are a profit engine, insurance companies are not there to do a good deed. That's why it drives me crazy when somebody says, I love my insurance company. Your insurance company was not designed to make you feel good or to do good by you. Your insurance company was a business model to make money for a few people who own that insurance company or a few executives, even in the nonprofit insurance companies, a few executives who run that company and the bonuses they get for spending less than they take in. All right, because that extra money goes to the shareholders and it goes to the executives. Insurance companies are not there. So you're not there to like your insurance company. You're there to make sure your insurance company pays the bill. Nothing more, nothing less. It's a transaction. There's no love there. But insurance companies decades ago, they realized we can't make money on on old people. So we don't insure old people. Or if we insure old people, we charge them an arm and a leg. Now steps in the government. We the people. We the people says now, since the private insurance company won't take care of our old people, you know, the government is always left with the things that are expensive. The government is always left with the things that the private sector doesn't want to do or doesn't find profitable or they can't make a good dollar on. So Medicare came into existence. Medicare came into existence and it started out just for old people and then it changed into taking care of more, more things. But Medicare came into existence because the private sector would not insure all of you old people because you cost too much and they would have to have a too high a premium and a lot of people would go without paying the premiums and just die. And they want to take your money before you die. Otherwise, there's no money for them to take. So they, they, they let it, they allow it to slide. Let the government take care of people over 65 years old. So they created Medicare. And what Medicare did is Medicare paid 80-20, just like standard insurance companies. You, they, you paid they pay 80% of the bill. Now, a lot of co- companies now, a lot of doctors will just take the 80 and, and they know that people are struggling and they may not take the 20 the percent. They may forgive or they may take your house. I'm, I'm kidding, but you get it. 80, 20 is what standard Medicare pay for. And while senators like Bernie Sanders and others have been trying to get Medicare to cover dental uh, a vision and ears, the private sector paid off senators not to give those services so that they would have a selling point for Medicare Advantage. Let me stop a second. Medicare. Uh, did not provide those services as baseline. In other words, uh, they gave you great health care. You can go to any doctor. You can have any medicine. You can go to any hospital under standard Medicare. So how is the private sector going to come in now? They see it as a lucrative market. The baby boomers are getting old. That's a bunch of people to insure. Imagine if we could get back into that market, it would be a pana, It would be a landslide of money. OK, and that's what they did. They paid off the government to create Medicare Part C. Let's back up. Medicare Part A, hospitalization. Medicare Part B, doctors or the reverse. I don't quite remember. It's, it's given you, you get that. That's that standard Medicare. Then, of course, you have Medicare Part D pay for for drugs and and, and then you get a Medigap to pay to 20 percent. Right. And you have private insurance that would take over that gap for you. And if you get that private insurance at the time that you get Medicare ver- the first time at 65, they have to give you Medigap and they have to give you Medigap at a, at a reasonable price. What the, co- the co- current price is for everybody. but. Here's a kicker. The private sector sees, smells blood. Johnny, I'm coming to you, but I need to finish this narrative. The private sector, the private sector goes ahead and they see money. Oh, how can we scam again? How can we scam again? And they say, "Uh, wait a minute. I can go ahead and tell the government for every old person Let's categorize them into three kind of sick, very sick, extraordinarily sick. And you give me a fixed amount of dollars for any one of those, for each one of those people that decide to voluntarily leave Medicare standard, meaning traditional Medicare, and come to Medicare Advantage, the private sector insurance. In other words, Medicare Part C. Uh, pri- Medicare Advantage, it's not Medicare at all. It is just private insurance paid for by our Medicare dollars. Again, Medicare, standard Medicare is paid for by the government and you pay for what you use. Medicare Advantage is private sector health care, just like your standard private insurance that always gives you trouble to get health care where you have to beg to get health care. All right. So they created Medicare Advantage, Medicare Part C, and they charge the government a fixed amount of money for a whole pool of people. So everybody that signed up for Humana, everybody that signed up for Cigna, everybody that under their Medicare Advantage plan, the government has given them X amount of dollars for each person. That's why you see between now and December 7th commercials and ads everywhere on TV. They are spending billions of dollars on trying to get you. That shows you how lucrative it is. Billions of dollars to try to get you to leave traditional Medicare, to go into private sector healthcare instead, so that they, for each person that they get, they build the government, either you being sick, very sick, or very, very, very sick. And what they try to do is classify you, as very, very sick to the government so that they get more money for you. At the same time, they give you the treatment of being somebody not very sick. That's how they make their money. And how do they advertise to you? They go on TV and at na- nauseum, they fool you. They first make you believe that Medicare Advantage is Medicare. It is not. That you have all kinds of great features with Medicare. It may seem like that at the beginning, think about this: to get you in there, even buying you groceries, they're giving you club memberships. They'll give you a, a, a stipend to get some groceries. That's not what you want healthcare for. Healthcare is not to get you groceries. Healthcare is just that healthcare. And because they stop the government from giving you vision, uh, ears, and dental. They also put that together, but they don't tell you that there's a very small limit to your dental. After a while, you can't you can't spend over a certain amount. Have you been to a dentist lately? And then they also do the same for your your ears. I mean, it, it is a racket. It's a scam. Now, there are people who love it because they don't have copays. The guy, one of my my um good friends who call and says i love my medicare i don't have copays he's doing fine but here's my brother he he eats very very healthy he's thin he's in great shape he's older of course he doesn't need a lot of coverage so to him the little coverage that they give him is great because again he stays here in houston that's how it is right so it works for him Because standard Medicare or Medicare Advantage would work for him, right? But for most people, and when I say most people, that's what I mean. Most people are so programmed that if the insurance company tells me I need this, then I get it. If they tell me I just don't need it, I do without. If my doctor thinks I need a particular service and insurance company doesn't think so, I am doomed. I do without. Medicare Advantage then comes, and again, they control what doctor you can see, what medicine you can get, how often you can get it. All these things are controlled by them. People always say, I don't want government controlling what I do. The ironic thing is that under standard traditional Medicare, the government controls nothing. Your doctor does. Under Medicare Advantage, some private exec. And now they're using AI to kind of deny you coverage. That's what they're using now. AI to deny you coverage based on stats and all these kinds of things. So that is the reason why, to the listener, why I I promise you that Medicare Advantage is a scam. If you like it now, wait a few months or wait a few years. Wait till you get an illness worth uh, worth true insurance. And you'll see what we're talking about when we talk about the fraud that is Medicare Advantage. And remember this, all frauds have honey. All frauds have honey. We have to find a way to entice you to come. We have to try to find a way to indoctrinate you. It is imperative that we do that or else we don't get you. But for every one of you that we get, some salesmen get a bunch of money the salesperson that's convincing you when you go to your navigator and they tell you, uh, well, you know, this Medicare Advantage plan for your financial situation is better. Da, 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 da. You know, they, they, they convince you they have a financial reason to convince you to take something that's a fraud, a scam. And you know who pays for it? And you know what? It bankrupts it bankrupts all of us, whether we are 65 or younger. Because we constantly have to pay more to pass all that money to the advertising that you see on TV every single second of the day. We have to pay all the money to those executives. We have to pay all that money to the shareholders so that they can make a dollar off of you and we, the taxpayer, subsidize these corporate fiends. It's a fraud. And yes, it works for some. Yes, it works for some, but in the aggregate, it falls on its weight, just like private health insurance right now. For most, they either don't have it, as if like here in Texas, where that it's the highest uninsured rate for people under sixty-five, or it's a fraud on you. So that's the explanation I wanted to give on Medicare Advantage. If I've if I was not clear, if I was fuzzy. If I need to uh, clarify something, the phone lines are wide open. We Absolutely so, folks. Absolutely so. Anyway, anyway. Yes, Maywood, I'm in the house. We are here live, sir. I wanted to make sure to start off the year live. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people say the way you start the year, the way you continue it. Well, I wanted to make sure and come with my peeps, those of you who decided to show up today. Thank you for being here. Of course, the podcast is going to be always there for people to listen to what we we had to say. Anyway, let's go ahead and talk about the economy. Remember the four things that we talked about. Now it's time for us to discuss the economy. So let's go ahead and do that now. Guess what? Because I also need to cough. So here it is. Inflation is falling. Inflation is falling actually comparatively very, very fast. I mean, we still have some problems in the economy, a lot of problems in the economy, but these problems are structural that we need to modify uh, our economic system if there are to be changes in order to alleviate uh, wealth and income disparity. Again, we have a structural problem with the economy that does not uh, that does not value work as it should does not value labor Based on what it, the value it brings to society, that a stockbroker makes more money than a than let's say an engineer or something like that makes absolutely no sense because that stockbroker is interchangeable, much more interchangeable than is an engineer and 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 many other factors. So I mean, there are structural problems in the way we value worth the work that people have to do. But inflation is down by a bunch. Many people don't understand it. Many people don't understand uh, how an economy works. I love this particular economist. I want you to listen to what he had to say on um, the 11th hour with Stephanie Rule yesterday. And then we'll take it on the other side.
1: Americans are in a bad mood about the economy. Republicans, Democrats, independents, they are telling pollsters that they feel miserable. Now, I can give you all the reasons why the economy is in very good shape. Employers are still hiring. Wages are outpacing inflation. Even today, news that inflation was up just over 3% compared to a year ago. Really good news. But here's the problem. Americans are mad. They're mad because so many things cost more than they did before the pandemic. Groceries are up 25 percent. Rent is up 21 percent. Auto insurance up 35 percent. And for many, it's not about inflation slowing back to its old pace before the pandemic. They want prices to fall back, too. But Here's the thing. I'd like to see prices lower. But when you dig into it, that might not actually be a good thing. We're going to explain why. And luckily, I got the perfect guy to do it. My good friend Justin Wolfers is here, professor of economics and public policy at the University of Michigan. Justin, we have a good economy, right? Almost every leading economist a year ago thought we would be deep in a recession today and we're not. Inflation has slowed. But the sticking point for so many of us in our everyday lives that's creating this negative sentiment is that stuff's really expensive, right? Before the pandemic, a gallon of milk was $3.20 on average. Today, it's four bucks. When people go to restaurants, they're saying, Jesus, when are these prices going to go back down. I need you to explain to us why it is a good thing for prices not to go back to pre-pandemic because I'd, I'd like them to be lower, <laughs>
2: We'd all like that, wouldn't we? And, you know, Stephanie, don't stop and say, let's get prices back to 2019 levels. You know what's even better? Let's get prices back to 1919 levels. Uh, a Coke was a nickel. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Look, the reason that thought experiment doesn't work is we could go back, we could have prices at 1919 levels, all prices, including wages, and that's the thing. What has what happens in the economy on average is as prices rise, so do wages. Like one comes with the other. And what we've seen in this economy is, yes, prices have risen a lot, but so have wages. Now, I want to get to the core of your question. There is a way back to 2019 prices. In fact, there's a way back to 1919 prices. We could smash the economy. We could stop all demand. We could create a massive recession so that no one anywhere could sell anything at their current prices. So then they'd have to cut prices. And that's how we get prices to go back by destroying demand, by raising unemployment to 10, 11, 12, 15, 20%. But I'll tell you the truth none of us want that because the pain of inflation is temporary. It's prices getting ahead of wages. The pain of unemployment is a whole lot greater.
1: All right. But let's talk about this. The economy is different for different people. Right. If you own a home, if you have a fixed rate mortgage, if you've got a steady job, a 401k, things are okay for you. Right. Health insurance, higher prices, they're maddening. But you feel pretty good financially. If you're on the other end, if you are trying to save for buying a home, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, higher prices Are killing you. So how do you solve things for people in that second camp? Just saying to them, man, it's not a recession. You should feel good. That doesn't work.
2: No, it doesn't work. Look, you make a really important point, which is I was just describing averages and and each of us is different. A a beautiful flower. Um, One of the things that's really important about this, this current expansion is the first expansion in my lifetime in which people in the lower half of the income distribution, are getting larger wage rises. So, in fact, this is the first time in decades pay rises are going to those who need them the most. You know where they're not going? They're not going to the highly educated upper middle class, amongst which journalists are dramatically overrepresented. Um, so, for a large, you know, a large number of people, the reality is. They're doing better. They're actually doing better than just keeping up. They're getting ahead. For you, Stephanie, I bet you're kind of finding it hard to get someone to clean your house. It might be a little more expensive than it once was. I'm not saying you don't do it yourself, but yes, when a price changes, two things happen: the buyer feels worse, but the seller feels happier. And that's what we're seeing right now with low-wage labor. You point to a whole bunch of other places where this same dynamic plays out. You're absolutely right. When price, when house prices rise, it's terrible for new people trying to get into the market. It's wonderful for the people who own houses. But here's a funny thing. Imagine right now the headlines were house prices plummeting. What do you think the national financial press would be saying? They'd be talking about how that's terrible news. And it is. That would be terrible news for the homeowners, Good news for those trying to get into the market.
1: Yeah, I mean, in that same vein, uh, years ago, when rates were at zero, it was also impossible to buy a house because they were getting bid up right, left and center.
0: It is great to have someone who can explain it this way. The problem is, can we get this into the appropriate minds so that people can understand this? Remember, there are two things that we're looking at. The economy that is doing well within the confines of what the American economy is that is doing great. However, on the individual basis, there's a structural problem. That is what we need to solve. But ironically, those who want to solve the structural problem are up against the troglodytes that continue to believe in the system the way it is. And until that changes, until we change that, uh, Americans will continue in dire straits. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So, welcome aboard Alistair Waters from Conroe, Texas, and, of course, Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain. All right, let's go to the last video, and that one has to do with voting. Listen to what Mehdi Hassan had to say. Mehdi's whose program has been cut. I wonder why. Check this out. Mehdi Hassan has a message for Democrats with the release of the recent uh, polling numbers for Biden, which, to put it as kindly as I can, they were terrible. They were horrendous, but they were very understandable, of which Mehdi Hassan has a message for Democrats. Calm down. And you know what? I'm with him up to a point. I want you to listen to him, and then we'll take it on the other side. It's
3: November the 5th, 2023, which means exactly a year from now, November the 5th, 2024, Americans will go to the polls to pick their president. And it looks almost certain that once again, they'll be picking between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. A choice that Americans are saying in poll after poll that they do not want. They don't want a rerun of 2020. They don't want Democratic and Republican candidates with the names Biden and Trump. But here we are. And here's the bad news for Team Biden in particular. If the election were held not a year from now, but today, the twice-impeached, four-times-indicted Donald J. Trump would win the Electoral College with over 300 votes, easily defeating President Biden. That's according to a new poll out today from the New York Times and Siena College, which shows Biden losing to Trump in five of the six key battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. The president is ahead only in Wisconsin and only by two percentage points there. It's worth noting that Joe Biden carried all six of these states back in 2020. But that's not all. The new poll also points to several other glaring liabilities for the president, including his age. 71% of voters surveyed say Biden, who will turn 81 later this month, is too old to be an effective president. That includes a remarkable 54% of his own supporters. The same doesn't apply, weirdly, to 77-year-old Donald Trump. Only 39% of the overall electorate say that Trump is too old to hold office, with just 19% of his supporters sharing that view. Another issue hurting Biden is the economy voters by a 59% to 37% margin trust Trump over Biden on economic issues. That's the largest gap of any issue surveyed in that poll. That's despite the fact that just last week we learned that strong consumer spending drove the US GDP to its biggest rise in nearly two years, growing 4.9%. And right now, unemployment is at one of its lowest rates for 50 years. People don't seem to care in the polling. There's also growing concerns over President Biden's mental fitness. According to the poll, 62% of voters say the president does not have the mental sharpness to be effective. And yet, believe it or not, only 44% of voters believe the same of Donald Trump. However, Trump's declining mental acuity is kind of hard to ignore. Here he is just last night in Florida delivering yet another incoherent, rambling, mad speech.
2: Many, many terrorists are coming in. Thousands of middle-aged men are coming in. Young men are coming in. Everyone's saying, how come they're all so young and so strong? And they're coming from China. Everything's a lie. The whole thing is a lie. The whole election was a lie. Why would I do a debate when Christie, sir, I'm sorry, he is not a fat pig, okay? This man... He is not a fat pig. No, it's true. And you
3: can't, you can't use the term fat. You're allowed to use the word pig, but not fat. He sounds totally mentally fit to be president to me but perhaps the most stark finding from that new poll from The Times is this. Biden trails Trump by five points nationally, but when voters were asked about a hypothetical race involving not Biden, but an unnamed generic Democrat, that candidate actually leads Trump by eight points. That's a 13-point swing. So to call these poll results anything other than savage for the President of the United States, for the Democratic Party, and let's be honest, for the future of American democracy, would be an understatement. To pretend things are fine and will be fine is mad. Having said all that, let me say again tonight, as I have said many times before on this show, we also do need to calm down a bit, get some perspective, especially historical perspective. Yes, the polls are bad for the sitting president, but we are still one year, exactly one year out from the election, 12 whole months. The Biden campaign for re-election hasn't yet fully launched. The Trump criminal trials, four of them, haven't yet started. And we know that incumbent presidents like Barack Obama and Ronald Reagan also trail their expected opponents at this stage in their first terms, too, only to emerge victorious a year later. We also know that Biden's own poor approval ratings didn't really hurt Democrats in the midterms either. Remarkably, they held on to the Senate and prevented a red wave in the House. They did it by focusing on abortion rights and voting rights, which they can and presumably will, do again next year. And in the meantime, Trump is giving Democrats ample
0: ammo to use against him almost daily. Yes, Democrats uh, who are concerned about Donald Trump taking the lead in the polls right now, uh, responsible Republicans who are concerned about Donald Trump being in the lead right now, independents who are concerned that Republicans, that, that Donald Trump is in the lead right now, really, as Mehdi Hassan has to say, calm down. Because what you have is 12 months to go ahead and undo all that, or undo or to do all that wasn't done to make sure, not that Americans know what's, uh, you know, how the economy really is, etc. Because you know what? Americans are living it. And in as much as employment, we're at clear, near full employment, in as much as inflation is coming down, in as much of all these things are occurring, we have still allowed... The plutocracy, the oligarchy, the the, the wealthy uh, business owners—we have really allowed them to extract our wealth, extract every gain that we've had. We've allowed them to take it away. So, in effect, what we need to say is, as Brother Hassan has said, "Calm down, and now understand what Americans are going through." Yes, numero uno, numero dos. Let it be known that you have a fix for what they're going through. It is time to go outright, not only on Trump for what he did with uh, giving all these tax breaks to his wealthy friends, but at the same time, his wealthy friends are now reaping the rewards of inflation, reaping the rewards of all we did for them during COVID. But we also have to go ahead and let them know that the time of the wealthy Getting by on the backs of the poor and the middle class will be mitigated. Let You know, uh, when, they, when they talk about give the people hope, it's not just give the people hope, it's give them a pathway to that hope being realized. And if Democrats do that, and they can, they have probably eight months to do that. And I mean, if you forget about your ivory tower consultants and you start working with the grassroots and you make it make these uh, these things that you are going to do for society organic from within, from the grassroots, then you'll succeed. Because, you know, who knows about grassroots? You know who is nurturing every single demographic, every single group of folk? The Republicans are. The MAGA folks are. They're talking to everybody, yeah, they're losing most, but they're 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 winning enough. Including, accord, if if this poll is to be believed, twenty two percent of the black population and a large percentage of the Latino population, etc. If that is to be believed, again, what they're doing is they're working the grassroots. Uh they're working the grassroots, and that is what Democrats have to do work the grassroots, give that pathway to hope being realized. Give that pathway to hopes being realized. Well, folks, we are at the end of the program. I want to thank everybody that showed up here on New Year's Day to tell you Happy New Year. But before we go, please do remember, as did our great great PDR Posse supporter, El Señor Davenport, please remember to support our program. And there are many ways to support the program. And what I'm going to do right now is go ahead and make sure that all of you know, both the old folks and the new folks that are in in the streams right now, understand how best to support Politics Done Right. Go to politicsdoneright.com slash support, politicsdoneright.com slash support. It's in the feed right now. Or you can go and become a paid member. Our newsletter is free. For anybody who becomes a paid member, you get to read my five books free of charge. In any subsequent book that I write, you can go ahead and read it. You'll never have to go ahead and per se buy the book. It is right there for you to see. And how can you become a paid member of our newsletter? Go to politicsdoneright.com/newsletter. Politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter thank you so kindly for spending this time with me my name is egber i ask egberto saturday yes we should be having an ask egberto anything on saturday uh yes we do we we will have that on saturday anyway my name is egberto willies this is politics done right happy new year my name is egberto Willis. politics done right and you guys know how i end this baby i am what